Hello, everyone. Welcome to Emmaus Way. On this All Saints celebration, it's good to see all of you with us. Um, tonight, for our call to gather, I wanted to read a uh, prayer from the, uh, from the Book of Common Prayer about all saints. So please hear this as you're called to gather. God of the ages, your saints who lived in faithful service surround your throne and offer you praise and worship both day and night. May we, your saints on earth, join our voices with theirs to proclaim your rule of righteousness and peace which comes to us through Jesus Christ. God of unfailing light, in your realm of glory, the poor are blessed, the hungry filled, and every single tear is wiped away. Strengthened by this vision, may we follow in the way of holiness that your Son made known in life and death. Amen. Again, welcome. It's so good to see all of you here tonight. Uh, Before we go any further, I want to turn it over to the little people sitting behind me, which we're going to hear something special from a number of them, but uh, they're also going to lead us in our community prayer, which for ordinary time is the doxology. So I'll let them take over and please join in. So um, just a couple of announcements tonight. Uh, the first one is we had said in the weekly this week that we were not going to have water. Good surprise, we have water. So if you go into the bathrooms or the kitchen and turn on the faucets, you'll discover that there is, in fact, water. Um, we're hoping that maybe the, uh, the, the cities had sort of given a giant swath of hours that the water was going to be out and maybe... Although this seems unlikely, the city actually finished the project early, and so they could turn the water back on. That's very exciting. Um, in terms of uh, announcements, I wondered if uh, someone, maybe Tim or someone else, wanted to give an update about the Durham Can rally that was this last Tuesday. Sure. Yeah. Uh, a, the rally was fantastic. We had, um, um, I think, about 500 people there. It had some decent um, media coverage. I think one of the best things, uh, it was interesting to hear the uh, school superintendent uh, just affirm completely that he was excited. He looked at the room and he said, this is a representation of Durham. And it was obviously a very uh, bilingual, triracial room. He said, this is, in fact, this is one of the rare places where you see all of Durham gathered together. He talked about his excitement at uh, working with Durham Can. going forward, but great energy, uh, it was a really a tremendous year of, of accomplishments. For us, the next step is going to be, uh, and hopefully some people here will be trained in this, is uh, leading some, some listening meetings. Uh, we hope to have at least one in, in Emmaus Way, but also uh, perhaps ones in your neighborhood where you can invite other people and we can begin to hear some of the issues and needs. And the whole city will be doing that um, until about March or April, and then we'll kind of start a new agenda. The things that we were excited about this week were part of the listening meetings of two years ago. So that's where we are. 
Great. Thanks, Tim. And if uh, those listening meetings are something that you're interested in, uh, hearing more about sort of the way that Durham Camp works in that way, um, I believe it's the, it's the weekend before Thanksgiving. They're hosting a training at EROUGH, um, maybe a Friday and Saturday or Thursday. I think it's a Friday and Saturday. Um, the, that weekend before Thanksgiving. So if that's something you might be interested in, actually being trained to conduct a listing session and sort of figure out um, a little bit more about the way that Durham Can conducts itself, um, just let me know or let Tim know, and we'd be happy to connect you with, uh, with that. Any other announcements? I think that may be it. Oh, yeah, SK. There's a box on the table for uh, coats, scarves, hats, gloves, for uh, men, women, Great. Yeah, and so uh, for those of you who don't know, Church World Service is one of our missional partners. They work with um, displaced people and refugees who find their way to the Triangle area, and so uh, this is a great opportunity to connect with them and to, to help out some people in the holiday season. Yeah. Nine to noon on Saturday. Um, if yeah, remind me afterwards, and we'll connect, and we can put that up on the website or put it in the weekly or something. Thanks. That's great. Any others that I'm missing? Cool. Well, as I said, welcome to Emmaus Way. Um, I'm Josh, the arts coordinator here. Uh, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, or uh, maybe you're looking for more ways to connect with our community. Um, there's always cards out on the front table that uh, one, a yellow card that you can fill out to get a little more information um, to, to us and maybe connect with someone in the community. Another one that uh, has uh, answers to a lot of uh, sort of frequently asked questions and directs you to our website. Um, we also have a silver bowl out there um, where you can donate money and we also uh, will, it can accept donations through the website. Um, Tonight is a special night on the liturgical calendar. Many of you, I'm sure, on Friday celebrated Halloween, um, also in the sort of archaic terminology, something called All Hallows' Eve. Um, and it's called All Hallows' Eve because the next day is All Hallows' Day or All Saints' Day. So for those of you who didn't grow up in a liturgical tradition, maybe that celebrates All Saints' Day, the idea of All Saints' Day is... Um, it's a day in the church calendar when we remember those that have gone before us and we remember those people that have sort of made a unique contribution both to the life of the church, um, sort of writ large, um, but also within our personal lives. Um, there are so many saints that we hold dear uh, from our own personal journeys and uh, oftentimes in a Emmaus way, all Saints Day had been an opportunity for community storytelling, an opportunity to talk about those folks that had been meaningful to us on our personal journeys. And so what we're going to do tonight is through a uh, format called Picha Kucha, which is basically a way of giving a short presentation, six minutes and 40 seconds, um, 
about something that you're passionate about, something that interests you, something that is meaningful to you, is here are some stories from the community. We've got six different people, uh, six different groups of people, I guess, because one, the, the all of the kids are going to give us a presentation as well, um, and. What we're hoping to do tonight is to hear stories from each other, and then at the end, during the confession and absolution time, we're going to have an opportunity for uh, each of you to respond, to think about someone that has been meaningful to you, an experience maybe that has been meaningful in your personal journey, um, and we'll hopefully have some time to share those at the end. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to the kids with our first Picha Kucha presentation. So please give them your attention. We are the children of Emmaus Way. We want to learn from you and to help you learn from us. We want to learn and live together. We want to know your stories and we want to hear yours. Tonight we will introduce ourselves and share some of our thoughts about a Mayus White community. Some of us have been a part of a Mayus White community all our lives, longer than most of the adults here. Some of us are quite new to a Mayus White. All of us have thoughts to share. We hope that hearing from us will continue the conversation about how we can all be a church together. My name is Caitlin Roach. I am eight years old. I have been a part of Emmaus Way community for half a year. I intend... I attend Club Boulevard Elementary School, and I am in third grade. I'm a really good friend. I like to do Girl Scouts, which I started this year. I also like to play with my friends, play kickball, sing, read, and do math. My name is Eve Brogan. I am nine years old. I have been a part of Emmaus Way community for seven years. I attend North Chatham Elementary School, and I am in fourth grade. I was born in San Diego, California on December 28, 2004, and I like music, swimming, kayaking, and hiking. My name is Azalea. I am eight years old. I've been a part of Emmaus Way community for two years. I attend Creekside Elementary School. I am in the third grade. I love arts and crafts, and I play soccer. I was born March 23, 2006. I am Parker Lund. I am nine years old. I have been a part of Emmaus Way community for one year. I attend Ephesus Elementary School, and I am in third grade. I am very, 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 very funny. I like to watch TV. I like to watch TV. (laughs) 
I am Iris Brogan. I, I am seven years old. I have been a part of a Maceway community for seven years. I attend North Chatham Elementary School and I am in the first grade. I like gymnastics and playing soccer. I am really good at climbing trees. <laughs> My name is Ada. I am seven years old. I have been a part of Maceway for seven years. I go to Club Boulevard School, and I am in first grade. I like to be a good friend, and I like to draw Luke. Ada is sick tonight, and she's going to be Sadly, but she's seven years old. She's been a part of Miss Way for seven years. She goes to Club Boulevard. She's in first grade. She likes to play outside and she likes to draw. My name is Grayson Gatling. I am six years old. I've been a part of a Miss Way community for two years. I attend Pearson Town Elementary School, and I am in the first grade. I have a new baby sister. I like to do art. Then the little children were being brought to him in order that they might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples spoke sternly to those who brought them, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not stop them, for it is such as these that the kingdom of heaven belongs. And he laid his hands on them and went on his way. The disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a child whom he put among them and said, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. So I, I meant to mention this actually in my introduction, but please feel free to clap after people are finished. Um, I have a feeling that if we just sit in silence as the next person comes up, it might be awkward. So don't be awkward. Just clap. <laughs> Our next person is going to be uh, Brett Fox. Some of these words are mine, and some of them are not. God, where are you? Where have you gone? I sit here looking in at you, wondering why. Why me? Ask and you shall receive. Receive. Month after month of disappointment. This emptiness doesn't go away. The depth of this pain is almost unknown. And the pain is so deep, but it never leaves. Like a barely healed wound, 
It's tender and ready to reopen. The slightest touch brings back the pain. The wounds aren't healing. The wounds are open for the world to see. We invite you in and feel nothing. Feeling, what am I supposed to feel? Why do I want this? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with us? Who are we becoming? Who am I becoming? I would never choose this path. Who is walking with me? We went to a house concert and heard this song uh, on a casual Friday night. I'm afraid of the space where you suffer, where you sit in the smoke and the burn. I can't handle the choke or the danger of my own foolish, inadequate words. I'll be right outside if you need me, right outside. What can I bring to your fire? Shall I sing while the roof is coming down? Can I hold you while the flames grow higher? Shall I brave the heat and come close with you now? Can I come close now? So we left you to fight your own battle, and we buried your hope with your faith. Because you heard no song of deliverance there on the nights that followed the wake. We never thought to go with you, afraid to ask. What can I bring to your fire? Shall I sing with the roof is coming down? Can I hold you while the flames are growing higher? Shall I brave the heat and come close with you now? Can I come close now? Lay down our plans. Lay down the sure fix. Grief's going to stay a while. There's no cure for this. We watch for return. We speak what we've heard. We sit together in the burn. There is no cure for this. Nothing that removes this pain. My life is full of ashes. Ashes that float. Ashes that cast a shade that are in the air that I breathe. I find myself being angry and yet unable to feel. The sadness is overwhelming. A life that was planned. A family. Images in my head of a life that could be a life that could grow. I don't know how to feel. I sit with one in torment who cannot hold it in. But where do I keep, where do I keep the pain? When do I lose it, let it ooze out? It comes and it goes. It covers my life. In the dark night. Where in God where is God in this darkness? Why doesn't he show his face? God is not only the God of the God of sufferers, but the God who suffers. The pain and the fallenness of humanity have entered into his heart. Through the prism of my tears I've seen a suffering God. But if God is really there, then why do I need these tears? Am I drawn closer to God or feel pushed further away? Does God really listen? Are you there? God shares in our suffering, but I never saw it or felt it. Though I confess that the man of sorrows was God himself, I never saw the God of sorrows. Though I confess that the man bleeding on the cross was the redeeming God, I never saw God himself on the cross. Blood from sword and thorn and nail dripping healing into the world's wounds. God joins us in our suffering. God offers hope on the cross. Our wounds are healed by God on the cross. And yet I still feel the same day by day. The story never changes, month comes and month goes, and the same story remains, not pregnant. Healing has yet to come. Upon a darkened night, the flame of love was burning in my breast. And by a lantern bright, I fled my house while all in quiet rest. Shrouded by the night and by the secret stair, I quickly fled. The veil concealed my eyes, while all within lay quiet as the dead. O night thou was my guide, of night more loving than the rising sun. O night that joined the lover to the beloved one. 
transforming each of them into the other. Upon that misty night, in secrecy, beyond such mortal sight, without a guide or light, than that which burned so deeply in my heart. That fire twas led me on, and shone more bright than of the midday sun. To where he waited still, it was a place where no one else could come. Within my pounding heart, which kept itself entirely for him, he fell into his sleep. Beneath the cedars all my love I gave. From o'er the fortress walls, the wind with his hair against his brow, and with its smoothest hand caressed my every sense it would allow. I lost myself to him. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among the mortals. He will dwell with them, and they will be his peoples. And God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. When will God make us new? We are still thirsty. When will you bring water and put out the flames? Today I cannot speak of God's hope, of hope in the midst of suffering, because I'm lost. We are lost. God feels lost. And all is silent. Thank you, Brett. Next is Sarah K. Fishback. <laughs> I like, was that a dance? The usually, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Throughout my talk, I'm going to be kind of giving a little pointer to Josh to advance the slides. All right. Um, so like Sisyphus, for many years in my life, I rolled a boulder up a hill. The boulder was faith. My response to God's kingdom was effortful and strained. I pushed and I pushed with prayers through clenched teeth. And when the boulder of laborious faith fell, as it does, I felt crushed wondering what I had done to disappoint God. I'd then become frenzied in reading, activity, and prayer, trying to jumpstart my felt connection to God's grace. The swings over the years were vast. Me, excited, hopeful, willfully faithful, then bruised, broken, and despondent. The pattern brought highs and lows, exaltation and depression, and it was exhausting. But one day this well-worn pattern changed, and it is that event that I want to talk to you about today. What does it take to break free of a spiritual rut? How is it possible to let go of a boulder and be transformed? My new way of operating is no end-all be-all, but it's freer. It also wasn't any one practice that led to my newfound freedom, but there is one practice that has been 
consistently powerful in defrocking the ways in which I ensnare myself on the spiritual path. It is, drum roll please, listening, deep listening, fully present listening, mindful listening, holy listening. To the Western mind, I don't imagine anything sounds more impotent than listening. Where's the hierarchy, the control? Yet I believe that in the upside-down world of the kingdom, this humble act of attention and presence to other self and God has the power to uproot the most deeply held punishing beliefs and patterns, to heal old festering wounds, to offer the clarity and conviction needed to set a bold new course, and to destroy the chains of bondage and the snares of suffering. A few weeks ago, Josh talked about perichoresis, the relationship between the triune God in which each party continually enters and leaves center stage in a dance of mutual, joyous, self-giving dependence. In deep listening, I believe we get a glimmer of this dance. As the speaker shares what is stirring from her spiritual heart, the listener listens while also listening for what spirit might bring before his heart. The listener acts as a servant or midwife in offering what the spirit presents. The listener cannot be certain of what he hears and offers everything as humble gift. The speaker checks what she hears against what is stirring within, for God is the true director of the dance. Vulnerability and trust pervade the exchange, and any grace or blessing is shared. This kind of relationship is a confusing composition for some of us. We've encountered friendship, counseling, and pastoral care, but this combined space of intentional care and deep listening to spirit is peculiar. It's not often familiar outside of Catholicism, but within the church, spiritual direction is the discipline that encompasses this strange space. In spiritual direction, God is seen as the true director and the ground of all being, ever-present. The role of the spiritual director is not to give advice, but to help the directee become aware of the ways in which God is already present and working in even the mundane areas of life. The director listens for a glimmer of a question, a phrase, an image, or perhaps a scriptural passage. The director may also suggest a spiritual practice fitting for the directee. The directee's work is to open himself to become available to what God is already doing and to gain awareness of what might be blocking him from greater participation in God's movements in his life. And so that day, I learned what was blocking me when my mentor, Christy, who is for all intents and purposes a spiritual director, offered me a phrase in response to my tumultuous spiritual swings. Stay in the desert, she said. Stay in the desert. It made no sense to my ego or intellect, but resonated with my heart. There was an alternative to my striving and resisting. Resting. For though I might feel far from God, I had on a spiritual level come to believe that God is at hand and ever-present. That day, I made a choice to accept what my heart already knew. I could not manufacture grace, God's freely given gift to me. No amount of reading, angst, or extra fervent prayer could manufacture God's grace or felt presence. So for the first time in what felt like an outrageous act of faith, I rested in the desert, confident and hopeful that visible and felt markers of God's presence would return in time. 
having faith that God was working even when I couldn't see any evidence. And in a flash, listening birthed spiritual breakthrough. As I've explored spiritual direction and holy listening, I've learned great news. With prayerful attention and care, we can offer our connected listening presence to friends, partners, and even strangers. At a contemplative retreat I attended last weekend, a Quaker instructor and hospice care worker gave us the following exercise. He assigned each of us a partner and asked us to close our eyes and connect with the deepest place of prayer within. When we felt ready, we were to open our eyes and have a conversation with our partner from that place of prayer. I found this daunting, terrifying, and awkward as adolescents, and as awkward as adolescents. He asked the question, why wouldn't we all want to live our lives from this place of deep prayer? The question feels almost as uncomfortable as the exercise, but I wonder what freedoms might come if we did. All right, so now's the time of our service where we take an intermission, and uh, <laughs> we're, we're halfway through. We have six total, so uh, after the first three, this is a great opportunity for us to get up, pass the peace of Christ to one another, greet those of you around you, especially if you might see an unfamiliar face, and please feel free to grab coffee and snacks, and we'll call you back in just a couple of minutes for Act 2. I want to, before we go any further, I just want to say another thank you to all of you who agreed to talk tonight. I think these have already been wonderful, and I'm very excited uh, about the second half. I think any time we can have an opportunity to have so many different voices from the community uh, speaking about things that are meaningful and passionate, uh, meaningful to them, and that they're passionate about, I think that's a, that's a, that is a church with a capital C. So thank you, guys. All right, next we have Jenny Nicholson. know that food has always been a huge part of my life. There was the southern tradition of pies, cobblers, and three-layer cakes passed down from my grandmother. Every trip I've ever taken, some of them with Tim, have been marked by some sort of amazing food experience. I've been to the Krispy Kremes in Raleigh, Greensboro, Winston-Salem, Richmond, and Tampa. Tim, for years, has called me his food and beverage girl and would ask me for tips on where to take out-of-town guests. I have a special place in my heart for funnel cake at the North Carolina State Fair. I've hosted potlucks, Super Bowl parties, dinners, and cookouts for every group I've ever been a part of. And Wade Bainham, the former worship pastor here, had a tradition of making homemade cinnamon rolls every time it snowed. And the two of us had a standing joke because I would call him the minute I saw a single snowflake hit my windshield. <laughs> and then three years ago in October of 2011, after a year-long struggle with 
a variety of different symptoms and seeing at least eight different doctors, in desperation, I decided to go gluten-free for a one-month trial. I saw major improvements within the first week. And I waited four months for my appointment. The doctor wanted me to go back on gluten for four weeks to prepare for an upper endoscopy. I remember going to Bull City Burger with Dan and Elizabeth Rhodes a few days after my appointment and timidly ate half of a hamburger bun. It took a few days for my immune system to start fully reacting, but I spent a good portion of those four weeks in bed with horrible migraines and fatigue. I've never anticipated a medical procedure so much as I look forward to that endoscopy. <laughs> and on the way home afterwards, we stopped at a Chick-fil-A and I inhaled an eight-pack of nuggets, which is the last gluten I've knowingly consumed. So this diagnosis, which was not celiac, but non-celiac gluten sensitivity, really turned my world upside down. After four weeks of being back on gluten, my body was so inflamed that I ended up having to give up all grains, sugar, soy, legumes, alcohol, and then eventually dairy. I had to completely change the way I looked at cooking, particularly baking, and learn a whole new way of approaching food. So I learned to bake with almond flour, coconut flour, and use sweeteners like honey and coconut palm sugar. I learned what ghee is and how to make rice out of cauliflower and ice cream out of coconut milk. When you have celiac or are extremely sensitive to gluten, you can't eat anything that has come into contact with gluten. That includes anything that has gone in a restaurant fryer that also fries breaded things, so I can't eat French fries at most restaurants. And every now and then I think that I'm crazy and decide that maybe this is just something that I made up that's all in my head. So about a month ago I decided to be really adventuresome and I ordered sweet potato fries at a restaurant that fries a lot of breaded things in their fryer. They were really good. <laughs> But an hour later, I felt so bad. I had to leave work, I had to go home and crawl into bed. And it's times like that when kind of the reality of all of this kind of starts to, to really sink in. Um, one of the hardest parts of all of this has been how much food is connected with our social lives. Like going to a party or a potluck and having to abstain from food can be really awkward having to ask 20 questions when I order at a restaurant is really embarrassing. So while I focused on healing my body and learning new ways of cooking, my social life pretty much evaporated for a while. My body even reacted to the communion elements here at Emmaus Way, so it even felt like the table was off limits for me. I started an Emmaus Way food group, which met once a month, usually around my kitchen table, and for a year and a half, that became a support group for a number of people who were struggling with different food issues. For me in particular, that breaking of bread, of gluten-free bread, fellowship, laughter, and sharing struggles over food that I knew was uncontaminated and safe for me to eat was so life-giving that I felt like it became my communion table. I was at a wedding almost a year ago, and after hearing some of my story, a friend asked me what God had been teaching me through all of this. I was really taken aback by the question. I felt guilty for not having an eloquent answer. 
And the truth is, at that particular moment, I was really in the thick of it with all of this. Um, a huge part of my life, as I had known it, had been taken away, and I was still reeling from the change. And I just couldn't wrap it up and put a pretty bow on it to answer that question. This journey over these past few years has been at times lonely, painful, very frustrating, but the community here has really rallied around me in ways that I never could have anticipated. At our last potluck at the Jakes's, I came out with a plate full of food because so many people had labeled the ingredients and what they brought. Um, recently, I had to be egg-free for a few weeks under the direction of my nutritionist and Joy, who's new to our home group, brought in gluten-free, egg-free snacks to church that night just for me. Uh, the Kites last fall, they had a dinner party and they customized the whole menu so that I could be a guest. And they even made chocolate chip cookies out of almond flour for me. The Jakes have eaten gluten-free over spring break at the beach for the past three years so that I can share meals with them. The Eford family went with me on my very last trip to Krispy Kreme. Laura Burkholder made my first gluten-free birthday cake this year, which redeemed Chad for bringing me a carrot cake that I couldn't eat last year. <laughs> <laughs> and the Wootens became my weekly Sunday night dinner date when I became so limited in my restaurant options. And there are many, many more stories like these, but all of these gestures of kindness and hospitality have really meant more to me than you can imagine. This community has really sustained me through a very difficult time. It's taken several years of testing, elimination diets, a few more diagnoses, lots of supplementation, and different interventions to get me to a point where I've been able to reintroduce many of the foods that I had to give up. I'm starting to enjoy food again, and I feel better than I have in a long time. In fact, I'm in the process of tearing up my kitchen right now. It's down to the studs, uh, which is a whole other story in and of itself. But hopefully, by the new year, I'll have my dream space for cooking and entertaining. And even though I'm probably never going to be able to eat Krispy Kreme again, I... Um, have been told that I make a pretty mean gluten-free pear and blackberry crisp. So I'm going to keep learning and reinventing in the kitchen as I'm starting to get my life back. And I'm really looking forward to getting to that place where once again I can invite all of you to share in that with me. Thanks. Thank you, Jenny. That was wonderful. All right, next up is Sarah Busman. Thank you, husband. Um, so, when I was growing up, I was Catholic. And um, like Jenny, that's a whole other story. But I'm going to tell you one snippet from it, which was that when we were had to be confirmed, we had to go to this weekend... Um, camp that they called search and search was kind of like fight club in that if you once you went to search when you came home you couldn't tell anybody about it how it wasn't like fight club is there was a bunch of 15 and 16 year olds so their version of not telling you 
was like the dudes would come home and say like, oh man, you do not know what you have in store. Like it's crazy. And all the girls would come home and say, I cried so much, y'all. I cried so much. So that's what you knew getting on the bus to go to search. And I'm sure lots of things happened that weekend, but I don't remember any of them except for the thing that happened the last night I was there. So we had just said goodbye to everybody. We're in a cabin with five other girls, and it was like the middle of the night, and a bunch of counselors come through the door in the middle of the night and tell you, like, get your shoes on and get your coat on and meet us behind the, the, in the back of the cabin. And we're, like, totally disoriented, so we go back to the back of the cabin. And while we're back there, they say, everybody gets a map. And don't look at anybody else's map because their map is different and their destination is different. And you get a flashlight and those are the two things that you get in order to find your way to the X on the map. But you have to go by yourself, because remember, everybody's map is different. And you also have to go through the woods, and it's also 3 o'clock in the morning. So it's like the equivalent of like if you've ever um, done that thing, what is that thing called where you put your head on the bat... And then you, like, spin around, and then they lift you up. Because you're, like, totally, you're, you have no idea. It's like the, somebody, like, doing that in front of your face. You have no idea where you're going. And it's dark. So you start off, and along the path, and again, I'm sure that there are other human beings on the path. I'm sure that there are camp counselors all on the way. And I'm sure that the path was marked. But in my recollection of this story... It was like the Blair Witch Project. <laughs> there was one camera on me, and it was like shaking like crazy. There was all sorts of scary stuff happening. And it was awful. And so to make it extra scary, along the path, there were like these checkpoints. And each checkpoint was a confession checkpoint that is not like the confession that we're going to do today. I hope. <laughs> because it was stuff like, it was like a card that you would have to like take your flashlight and read and it would be like, Johnny lied to his parents today. When was the last time you lied to your parents? And you're like, okay, that just got real really quick, but I'm going to go to the next one. And then the next one would be like, have you ever cheated on a test? Because Susie did and now she's in hell. And you're like, oh my God. <laughs> This is getting rough still. This is e getting even worse. And so you're going through, and you go through all of it, and then you're finally, you know, and like at this point, listen, guys, you're 15, and I don't know, if you're like me when you're 15, you're super awkward and super emotional all the time. So you're already like super crying, because you're like, oh, my God, I did cheat on that test. Oh, God, now I'm in the middle of nowhere, and I cheated on a test, and now I'm going to hell. So then... You finally get to the X on the, on, the, on the map, and you think, okay, this is over. I'm finally here. And it's a cabin. And you're like, fantastic. And it's a dark cabin. You're like, less fantastic, but I'll take it. Because it's a cabin, and that probably means that there's going to be other people. So you walk in the cabin, and there's, there's only two things in the cabin. There's a kneeler like a, a, from a pew. And then in front of the kneeler, there's like a little table, kind of like this one, 
um, with two candles like those, and then the, like, bloodiest, judgiest picture of Jesus that has, like, ever happened. It's like a picture that, like, in the movies when somebody stands up and walks back and forth and the picture's eyes follow you, I was convinced that this picture of Jesus was following me in that room. Okay? And there's no instructions. You just have to, like, do something. And you're already, like, super emotional, so you're sitting there thinking about all of the checkpoint things that you did. And once you're in there in the dark with bloody Jesus for, like, what seemed like an eternity, then one of the camp, camp counselors, like, comes in and gets you. And, of course, you're, like, two feet from your actual campsite or whatever. But then you go back. As obviously, that was very formative to me because Josh will tell you I'm still really afraid of the dark, like, genuinely afraid of the dark, like, will not take our dog out alone unless I really have to at night. And obviously, there are still times that I think that Jesus is that super bloody, judgy dude, and I have to deal with that. And there's all sorts of other things that I find problematic with that. But the worst one was that when we got back to the cabin, they told us that we couldn't talk to the other people in the cabin about what had just happened. Like you just had to go to bed, and one of the camp counselors was going to stay there to make sure that you didn't talk about it. And when you went home, you couldn't talk about it. And because this was a secret thing, and this was your deal, you're not allowed to talk about it. And while, you know, it's, it was called search, and while I get that, like, it's all about the search, and I get that, it sucks to not know that somebody's searching with you. And that is what Emmaus Way has taught me, is that, I mean, you can go through all sorts of crazy searches, but you got to know somebody's searching with you or has searched it before because it makes you feel less crazy. I didn't know that then, and so it didn't stop me from being the first person off the bus and saying to everybody who hadn't done it, I cried so hard, y'all. I cried so hard. Thank you. <laughs> All right, and we are ready for our last Picha Kucha Er Reagan one. Thank you. I'm going to show you all some things and say something that's either profound or obtuse. I can't decide. Um, and then we'll be done. Sarah told me not to, because it wasn't that profound what I was going to say, and she said, Don't worry, I'm just telling a story. So it seemed a little more profound of me. <laughs> um, so uh, what I have recently, all my life I've taken pictures, and recently it's turned into more um, than just uh, with my iPhone. I'm doing it at a different level. Um, so I was going to show you all some of that and kind of talk to you about why I do that. I'm particularly interested in wildlife photography. Um, I like to be out in nature. I, uh, it gives me a nice time to be kind of alone with my thoughts. Um, and with nature and um, travel and all these sorts of things. So this is an eagle that I've taken. And, uh, this is a black bear that's up in the Smoky Mountains. Um, took that just a couple weeks ago. Here's an osprey. This is just at Jordan Lake. Next one. 
This is an eastern pond hawk. And this, um, I actually took this while I was waiting for a hummingbird to show up. And he wouldn't leave, so I took his picture. And um, now it's big and framed right in my office. So what do you know? Um, that's, that's a cool thing about nature is it never works like you want to. But if you hang out long enough, it does something. So I like that. Uh, this is a spice bush swallowtail. Also took while I was looking for the hummingbird. I have no pictures of the hummingbird, by the way. <laughs> um, but got that. Here's an elk. I uh, took this. Uh, this was a thing. Somebody told me, I took the picture of the bear. Somebody told me that if I drive two and a half hours the next morning, right before sunrise, these elk would be in a meadow and they would cross the river. And I believed them. And they were right. And there he went. I've never seen him again. This is at Duke Gardens. This is the mandarin duck. Um, over at Duke Gardens, took this, um, took this the other day. He was preening himself and then gave me a little look. So it was fun. And this is Millie, who's not here today. But this is Millie. This is Grant and Whitney's um, daughter. Uh, here's one picture of her. And there she is again. Um, took her picture the other day. And she is just the most darling thing ever. So, and all of these can be found at reaganspervectphotos.com which doesn't actually exist, but it should. Um, no, I'm one of the things, there's a lot of reasons I like photography. One of the things I like about it is uh, probably in a room full of highly educated, um, eclectic people, there are no other perfectionists here, but I consider myself quite the perfectionist. Um, and I've done things, I've been an athlete, I've been a preacher before, I've been an academic trying to write and be published, and the problem with all of those things is that everybody gets to see me fail and I don't like it. So one of the great things about photography is that I get to, um, I don't have to show you my failures, right? <laughs> I got to pick the eight, eight or nine pictures I just showed you all, and um, I get to show you all how great I am. You don't have to see the, the thousands that I've thrown away. Um, but it doesn't quite like end up working that way, right? So let's do the next one here. Oh yeah, practice makes perfect. Um, yeah, that's stupid. And I think that's, if you're a perfectionist, it is. Because, like, why would I do anything over and over if I wasn't already perfect at it? Like, that would make no sense. If I'm not any good at it, I'm not going to do it. Um, here's a red-shouldered hawk. I took this a year ago. This was November. This is in my backyard, actually. When um, he came and showed up. And I can tell you, I didn't print this, but I put this on Facebook. And I put this on a Flickr page that I have. And I sent it out in text messages to my parents and everybody to show them, like, Look how great this picture. In other words, when I took this, I was very proud of myself. Um, and then about a week ago, he showed back up in my backyard, and I took this picture. And I don't think the other one's as good anymore, right? Like, my perfect picture was not any perfect anymore. And here they are next to each other. I have no, like, I don't uh, imagine that the one on the right there is perfect, right? I imagine that at some point I'll take a different picture, and that one will not look as good. Um, so yeah, so this practice makes perfect. I actually, Josh and I were talking about this, that actually practice, it's the next one, I think it subverts perfect, right? It actually, as I practice things, it makes, it, it makes perfection an ideal that is non-existent. Because as long as I'm progressing and moving forward, what was perfect gets, gets subverted, right? Gets consumed into whatever is new. Um, so I don't know, I really like that. As, as a perfectionist, I kind of both get to feel like I'm being perfect, but I also get to progress at the same time. So I don't know if that's profound or obtuse. It's probably somewhere in between. Um, what do you want to talk? Here's the other reason I like being a photographer. 
What's the thing? Is you get to be a historian. I just I just came kind of dressed like this because I just came from a photo shoot with a family. Um, they've got a two-year-old daughter, and they've had this. They said this was the fifth professional like photo shoot they had done with their daughter. And for me, at least, like they get it. They're like, this is. They're only gonna. They're gonna capture these moments, um, and they just want a few pictures. They only want a bunch of them. They want like two or three pictures to capture what their daughter looks at this moment. Um, but you also get all sorts of other stories, right? You get news stories and um, different kinds of moments. So there's. Oh, I told you I was an athlete. I didn't take this picture. I'm in this picture. This is me when I'm 20 years old. I was. On, I went to college on a rodeo scholarship. Yeah, isn't that amazing? And you would never believe that if I didn't have a picture. And I know that because my own son, Parker, the one that was the, likes TV, which is really funny because he doesn't get to watch TV. So. <laughs> um, That's why I like that it. must be why he likes it. Um, he came home one day and said, um, we learned about cowboys in school today, Daddy. And I'm like, oh, your daddy is a cowboy. He's like, no, you're not. Like, no, I am. No, you're not. I had to get a picture out and show him. And he was like, really? I'm like, yeah. Um, yeah this is my grandfather at Christmas last year. Um, and he passed away a few months ago. Um, and it's really funny. My cousin who races trophy trucks, this is a picture of his trophy truck with showgirls in Las Vegas that he gave him a t-shirt. Um, my grandfather <laughs> thought it was really funny. Um, I have a file now. They're just pictures of my grandfather. Right? They're just and they're incredibly precious to me now. And they, were, they weren't, right? A year ago. Maybe they should have been. But now they're just they're treasures. This is the first time my dad saw Parker. Ever. This is the moment, right? I don't know who took Ashley may have taken this. I don't know. It's like we have this picture. And, and not only do I have this picture, I have this picture in my mind. Right? I get to, this is, I remember this moment. I don't remember anything else about that day. I mean, this is like the moment, right? But this is what I remember. This is the first time Parker met Jacob. Right? And again, kind of through, through photos, we get to capture these moments and they... The image actually gets stuck into my brain, and that's how I remember these moments and parts of my life. There's also just times when our kids are cool, right? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. These is this. I don't know these. This is the Duke women's soccer team, right? They got the game winner. They ended up losing in, to Florida State, I think. Um, but they uh, they had to win, or they were their season was over. And they and this is an overtime. And it's just amazing. These two people, it was an engagement photo I did. And it was so easy because they were so in love. Right? And they just asked me, what do you want us to do? How do we pose? And I said, I don't know. Just be with you. Like, just hang out with each other. And I will sit here. Go, go stand over there. Right? Let me get the light right and all this stuff. But you stand there. And then just hug and kiss on each other. And, and you get all these great things. This one you can see better down there than up here. Uh, this is at a gas station in Saxapaha. Somebody can say that better? Yeah, yeah, that was amazing. I just happened to be out there. I was looking for some kind of animal, and I, was, I stopped at this store to get a Coke or something. These guys are, this is a gas station. They're just sitting there, and I asked them if they could take their picture, and they said, why would you want to take our picture? I'm like, because you're two guys outside of a gas station with a guitar and two mason jars. Like, this is a compelling, I don't know what your story is, but I'd like to take a picture of it. Turns out one of them is in some band, which I should have known, because when he emailed me, he was very proud, and they got a Wikipedia page at some band in the 80s. Um, I think it was like some Zoot Suit band. I don't remember which one it was. But um, this guy also, the guy with the beard, you can't see here, he's got a big scar on his knee, right? I don't know what that is, but it just makes me wonder what, there's just a lot going on in here, right? He's just, I just took a picture of it, and now I remember those guys. I wouldn't remember them if I hadn't taken a picture. I wouldn't remember them today. 
Um, sometimes you get to see people preaching the gospel, and you get to see like how interested they are. Um, <laughs> right? I mean, that is like a captive audience right there. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And sometimes you get to see people that are just absolutely perfect for their job. Right? Like, could this guy not be... This is at the um, farmer's market in Durham on Saturday morning, and this guy just could not be... An actor couldn't be picked better than him. Sometimes you get to see your friends doing what they like to do as well. So this is Brett out stalking something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least you had the hat on, so we could all recognize you. And then sometimes you just get to capture a pig's finest hour. Um, so yeah, this is. It's kind of what I do. I don't make really any money at it, and it's a weird floating around. It feels kind of. It's either really profound or really obtuse, and I don't know which one it is. Um, but I get a lot of pleasure out of it, and I like to share it with others. So thank you all for letting me share. So the, the All Saints uh, Day or, or week that we do at church every year, we, this is the first time we've done it this way, um, for those of you who haven't been around for very long. Um, but we usually do something. It's kind of been a tradition of ours for a long time uh, to do some, some element of storytelling uh, where we actually talk about um, the, the, the giants whose shoulders we stand upon, um, the, the people who have meant something to us along the way. And this was, a, uh, for me at least, was a really wonderful night. Thank you to everyone. Can we clap again for everybody for sharing? Thanks, Guts. Thank you. And, and tonight, so this is sort of serving as our confession and absolution time. And the thought that I had, um, and, and this was something that Josh sort of mentioned beforehand when we were talking about, uh, about this night, uh, is how what, what, we, what we see tonight is that the story of our lives, we didn't get to where we are without somebody else or another group of people or somebody else's story. What I, what I think tonight is really about is celebrating, on the one hand, the confession that without those people, without those voices, we would not be where we are. So the confession part of it is that on our own, we're not really very good at putting our lives together. The absolution part is that we're all here, which means that there are other people in our lives um, every story that we heard tonight, um, you know, Brett's had a, a tremendous amount of confession in it. He's still looking for some of the absolution in his story, and he and Sarah's story. We're still waiting on that. Some of the other stories have much more of the absolution side of it. But together, the Pichacucha, which I still don't know what in the world it means. Someday we'll figure that out. If anybody knows, please, please tell us. But, but the, the Pichacucha idea, I guess, that we saw tonight is that together we saw confession and absolution. Together we have a more complete story. We have a more complete idea. The art project that we're doing this fall, and we'll be doing it through Advent, uh, you know, most, almost every year we do some kind of art project in the fall and oftentimes another one in the spring. We, we've done one night of this um, for those of you who are here that night, uh, you already have begun this project. For those of you who were not here, I'll explain what we're doing. You'll see at the end of the rows that you're sitting on, you're going to see strips of paper and glue and pens and things like that. I don't know. Are there any over here? I guess they're just here. 
we'll just pass them around and stuff. What we're doing is we're actually creating, we're recreating the amazing church calendar that Carol Baker painted for us several years ago. And you'll notice in this painting, there's the paracresis in the middle, there's the church calendar, the different colors around it that tell us what part of the year we're in. And if you notice from the bottom left to the upper right, there's sort of this gold stretch. That's, that's what we would call as the Emmaus Road for us. That's the path, that's the journey that we are on together. What we're doing for the Fall Art Project is we are recreating that church calendar, we're recreating that painting, and we are doing it together. We are doing it by the things that are being made at the art table every week, which, by the way, we, we rarely mention it, but the art table is here every week. If you are somebody who listens better or participates better by using your hands, please join it. If we, if we run out of room, we'll just put another table up. Like If that's something some people like to knit, some people like to paint, draw, whatever, anything that's there, feel free to join in. The other thing that we're doing is several different times through the fall and into Advent, we're doing what we're doing tonight. What we are doing is, when you get a strip of paper and you get a pen, you're going to write something. This week, what we want you to write is the name of someone who has helped get you where you are. That could be a person in your life. It could be a teacher. It could be a parent, a friend. It could be an author or a filmmaker or a character in a play. I mean, it could be anyone who you have found inspiring in your life, anybody that has given you hope, anybody that has given you an idea that maybe the world could look different for you than it has looked. Once you have written that, we'd love for people to share. I think there's time. We'd love for people to sort of share if you want to. Um, Feel free to speak up and say, I want to just mention that this, this person really meant something to me. I got to do that when we did Bruce Springsteen night a few weeks ago. That, that would be the kind of person I might write on, on this. And then once you've written it, you'll just take the glue that's there and just kind of pull a stripe of glue across of it, and you're going to roll it up so it looks like this. There are examples there on the sides on this table so you can see. It doesn't have to be exactly this size. It could be a little bigger, a little smaller, but this is kind of the general idea. That way, nobody else is going to see what you've written in there, but you're going to know what you wrote in there. And these together are all going to become sort of the pixels on that road. When we're finished with the art project, our stories, last time it was our confessions, this time it's the people that have inspired us. As we do this going forward, there'll be different things that we write on these. But our stories from our community will be the different sort of bricks or pixels in that road as we build that road together and celebrate the coming of hope in Advent, and we celebrate walking through our lives together that we're not alone. So that's the deal. Please grab pieces of paper, pass them, do whatever needs to be done here. Think of a person, a character, a play, a filmmaker, a, again, could be a parent, a teacher, a friend, someone that you admire from afar. Pick the name of what we would call a saint, someone in your life someone whose work you've come in contact with that has meant something important to you. As you begin sort of figuring out who you're going to write down and writing and rolling the paper, feel free to look at those people around you, talk about who it was you wrote down, why it was you wrote that person down, and and what meaningful impact that person has had on your life. And uh, we'll call you back to go to the table in just a couple minutes. Okay, 
So hopefully you've had a chance to share with one another a little bit at least. Um, we're actually at the time we're going to come to the table together now. So this will continue sort of our process of telling stories with one another. Um, but we're actually going to move to to the, to the table of communion now. And, and this is something that we do every week, I, obviously here in Emmaus Way, for those of you who've been around. Uh, we do this every week. Uh, we always say that this is an open table, that this is a table where all are welcome. Uh, we don't block the table from anyone. Uh, this is the place where we come together uh, to hear God's voice. Um, this is the place where we come together to, to be in the presence of one another and belief that that presence and that holy kinds of conversation, that the kinds of ways that our lives intersect at the table uh, is the thing that actually shows us God's presence in our lives. So when we come to the table here at Emmaus Way, we always break bread for one another, saying the body of Christ broken for you. And we pour wine or juice for one another and we say the blood of Christ shed for you. So please come, eat and drink. All are welcome. <laughs> 